Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good evening. We are jumping into our uh, Mark Your Bibles lesson uh, again. I had hoped we were going to finish this whole series this year, and it's going to actually kind of roll over into next year slightly, slightly, not very long, but a couple of lessons. Uh, But I figured that was better than to cram them all in here before the end of the year. Uh, So we'll uh, we'll make sure to, to spend some time on that and finish it up next year. But tonight's lesson is track number 21, which is on singing the Lord's Supper, uh, also worship, and just uh, some verses about those types of things. And again, as you know, these tracks are designed to help you answer questions. So the scenario here would be you have invited a neighbor or a friend to come worship with you, and their question at the end of the service is, well, why do y'all do what you do? Now, you might get more specific questions than that that might require different verses than what we're going to go over tonight. But tonight is basically just a rough overview, a passage that gives us the, the reason why we do the different things that we do when we gather together and assemble together. So that's the basic outline. Um, you know, again, there's a lot more detail you can go into on any one of these particular topics, these different things that we do when we gather together. Those are worthwhile verses to do, and I would encourage you this week, if you don't have something else you're studying or working on, one thing you could do is go through the different aspects of what we do in worship, follow through this route, and let's say the one on prayer, write a few extra verse references in the margin in case they have more questions on prayer, you have a way to go down that route too. Uh, So it just gives you a way of kind of cross-referencing or overlapping some different studies uh, as you mark your way through your Bible. So maybe that can be helpful. Uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of those extra verses tonight. Uh, If you want, if enough of you respond, maybe I'll send something out later this week that you could go back and add some things into this particular lesson. Our first passage that we're going to look at this evening is Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. That's where this track begins, as you see that on their table of contents for those who have put that in their Bible. And it's basically a simple passage. We're familiar from the temptations of Jesus. The devil has tried to tempt Jesus into bowing down and worshiping the devil. And Jesus' response is, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So that means we worship God only. Now, that in and of itself is not earth-shattering or new information or something we don't already know, but I will say in a lot of ways it is not something we always practice. Okay, I'm not saying that we you know, bring false gods into our church buildings and set up idols on the, on the stage, but there are many times in which what we offer is not really worship because there's no heart behind it. And so one lesson to take from this is the idea that our job when we are gathering together is to worship the Lord. It is to focus on him, 
not focus on self, not focus on those things. Does not mean there aren't community or fellowship aspects of what we do when we gather together to worship. Uh, it is interesting to me if you do a lot of studying on worship, everything we do in worship is something we do both individually and collectively. So there is a sense in which what we're doing, we're doing together, uh, and, and there is a, sense, a responsibility we have toward one another, but in terms of worship, we are worshiping God. Okay? Simple enough? And I've belabored the point long enough for you to underline it in your Bible. Excellent. All right. So that takes us to our next one, which is John 4, 23 and 24. I have verse 24 up there specifically, but the context here, because we always want to share the context with people, is the, the story of Jesus with the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman. And she asked him a specific question about worship, Basically, more of a question of the differences between what the Jews do and what the Samaritans do and their chosen location of worship. And Jesus basically says here, the location is not what matters. And then you look in verse 21. I'm going to start reading there. Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, your Bible might capitalized spirit here. I don't know if your translation does that. Some do, some don't. Uh, mine does. I don't know that this is necessarily a reference to the Holy Spirit, which is generally why it gets capitalized, as much as it is a reference to the manner in which we worship. Uh, when we worship, it is not merely about emotions. It is not merely about just checking the right boxes and doing the right things. It is not about making sure you meet all five acts of worship, and if we don't do all five, well, then our worship is invalid or anything like that. The point is, when you worship God, God expects worship. That's it. I mean, that, that's really the point. And if you look at it in the context of what Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman, she's concerned about semantics and rules. What's Jesus telling her? You know, the location then really ain't going to matter. What matters is that you are coming to God and spending your focus on him. God seeks true worshipers. Not people who are just checking the boxes, not people who are just emotional without any concern for truth. You can go to the extreme either direction. God is concerned that those who come to him and recognize him as God are coming to worship him. And so that's, the, that's what God's asking for here. God is saying he wants people to truly worship. I will be the first one to admit that is not always the way I approach what I do when I assemble with God's people. And I've admitted to this to y'all many times before. It's one of my, 
I think one of my biggest struggles as a preacher is that it is so easy for me to get focused on the task ahead of me that it completely diminishes and demolishes any sort of worship I have offered to him up until that point. And so we've gathered together on a typical Sunday morning and we've had scripture reading and we've had prayers and we've had several songs and we've broken bread together. And through all of that, I'm sitting there going, okay, so I need to say this and I need to make sure I remember this and then I got to make sure this comes after that. And oh, I went, I've, I've thought about this story. Maybe I should include that story. And what was the name of that poisonous tree again? And I, I sit down and, and, and struggle through my sermon over and over and over again, which is what I've been doing all week long. Like I, that, that's been on my mind all week long. Tiffany can tell you, we'll be driving down the road, and I'll just be over there silently just driving along, and, and she'll, she'll know what I'm doing. I'm writing my sermon in my head. And I'm going over ideas, and, well, I need to make sure to include this person. Oh, I need to write that down. I can't write that down. I'm driving. You know, and, and, and like, I, I'll be sitting there wrestling mentally with all the things I'm going to say, and, and maybe I should say it this way, and what about this? I'm still doing that up until the moment I stand up. And so I've gathered together with God's people, but I'm not being a true worshiper. I'm not worshiping in spirit and truth. I'm here. I'm checking all the boxes. I'm doing all the right things. I've said the words of the song. I, I have bowed my head when the, when the prayer was offered. I've broken the bread and ate, eaten it and drinking the juice. And I, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, but I've done none of the things I'm supposed to do. That's what Jesus is teaching here. We can get caught up a lot on, well, what is spirit and what is truth and what exactly is he saying here and miss the whole point of what he's saying here. She is asking, what's the rules and which one do we need to follow? And he is saying, the one rule that really matters, worship. Worship. Make sure when you gather together, you worship. That it is truly from the heart, it is something you are doing to serve him. It is something you're doing not because it serves you and it pleases you and is nice for you. It's something you're doing because it is nice for him. Worship. That's why we gather together. Next passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. Really, we could study from chapters, really probably chapter 11, but you know, most definitely chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14 and get a good overview of how to worship, what not to do in worship, and how to do what we do better. I actually get to, to teach that uh, later this week to a, a group of preachers. But here's something that I, I think we... we read often, but I don't know that we truly let it sink in. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. Some of your versions will say for edification, for building up. All that we do should have at the heart of it the building up of God's people. 
Now, that does not diminish worship. That does not take the attention off of God, per se. It is saying that when we truly are giving our attention to God, people will be built up by that. One of the side effects of true worship is that God's people who truly love God will be encouraged and lifted up and made stronger as a result of it. And so that's part of what we need to be focusing on is when we gather together, what we do, the decisions we make should be done for the building up of the congregation. Side note that I would not get into if I were having this discussion with people other than you. Okay, so this is a tangent that I want to go on just for a brief moment to try to maybe help you think and take a little uh, different, different slant with this. I want you to note here that when they gathered together, they each came prepared to offer something publicly for the building up of the saints. Do you see that? When they gathered together, it says, when you come, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everybody's coming ready to offer something in a worship service where the, the congregation, the family, the flock will be built up and made stronger because of what you've offered. I don't know that we do that well. We are really good, I think, sometimes. I mean, we, we have a, a, a great, you know, David puts together the duty roster for us, and everybody does their responsibilities and takes care of the things that they're supposed to be doing. And, and, and hopefully those who are, who are assigned have seen that before the service and they are prepared to do the things that they were supposed to be prepared to do. So our song leaders come and they, they've got their songs chosen. I know several of you will actually uh, text those songs to David or, or Larry. Y'all sometimes include me. I'm like, I don't put them in there at all. I don't have a clue what I'm doing in that room. So thank you for including me and thinking I'm that responsible, but I'm really not. But David and, and, and Larry make sure everything's put in there and everything runs smoothly. And I'm hoping maybe that uh, whenever we're down to lead a prayer, we've thought about it ahead of time. It's not something we're just shooting off the cuff. I, I'll be the first to admit many times I've just prayed straight off the cuff. But I don't know that even that is a description of what we read here in 1 Corinthians 14. It seems to me that what's happening in the early church in, in Corinthians is that Every person came to worship ready to share with their brethren something that was going to build their brethren up. And they had some sort of avenue in order to do that. What that looked like, I don't know, nor am I making suggestions. But it does seem that the teaching is there were more than one people, person who came in ready to offer a song to the congregation. And there were some who came ready to share a revelation to the congregation and some who had, who had been thinking and dwelling on and learning and they were ready to teach something to the congregation. It wasn't just one man who got up and did all of that. It was many. And later on, you have their abusing of that where they were talking over each other and not being uh, speaking one at a time. And because of that, 
things weren't being done for edification. And he, he rebukes them for that. I say all of that to, to maybe put this bug in your ear. How much are you doing to bring edification to your family? Because our culture has taught us to be worship consumers, not worship providers. And I would encourage each one of us to maybe step out of that mindset to what is it that I can do to contribute more to worship? One of my favorite things used to be, uh, just to, to, to pick on somebody who's not here, is when Elijah would, would get up at the end of service. Y'all know what I'm talking, y'all know what I'm about to say, right? Like he would get up and, and he would share with us something that had been on his mind lately or something that had struck him and he would have a passage to back it up. And, and he would share that with the congregation because he wanted to offer something of encouragement and edification. We should be doing that. We should be finding ways to contribute because what we do should be, every person should be involved in the edification process. All right, so end of tangent, back to the way we would teach this to other people. All right, our next passage for scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we're very familiar with it, very similar to Ephesians 5, 19. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with God or to God with gratitude in your hearts. So one of the ways we worship is through song. I, I don't typically try to belabor this point and turn it into an uh, anti-instrumental rant. Um, it very clearly says here, the way we worship is to share in song that we are singing to God, that we are expressing gratitude to God through the songs that we are singing, and that we are teaching and admonishing one another through those songs. And so the songs that we sing should be, in, in, in some ways, gratitude to God, expressing that. Maybe we would call those songs of worship. And then some of the songs we sing are songs of teaching and admonition toward one another. They are about our relationship with God or us trying to straighten one another out with song. Uh, that, that is, both sides of that are a part of what we do when we worship. We, we sing songs with a purpose. Now that I can harp on for a minute because how often do we sing songs without purpose? How often do we sing songs because, oh, that's pretty? Or how often do we sing songs because that's what's on the board? So that's what we sing. We don't have a clue what we're singing. I, I will say, and, and this is, I am a big fan of putting the song up on the projector. Big fan of that. So don't, don't take me to the extreme with this. But I miss being able to see the whole song at one time and read through the whole message. I do miss that. Maybe one way we can circumvent that a little bit is if we have song leaders who are willing, 
not just to read the lyrics of the song, but to at least express in a sentence or two, here's what we're about to sing. And help everybody put their mind together in the words we're singing and the message that we're sharing with one another or the words we're singing to God. Because our, our job is to express words and thoughts, not just follow along with music. And if we'll do that, I, I think it'll make a big difference in the way that we worship and the way that we, our hearts are pulled toward God through that worship. Another one here, Acts chapter 4, verse 24. We've studied this recently in our sermons on prayer because it's an example of the early Christians praying together. It says, when they heard this, talking about Peter's report after being let loose from the Sanhedrin, when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, and it continues on with this prayer. And so you've got an example here of the early Christians praying together them expressing their voices. And, and in this particular prayer, you've got four main directives or focuses. They're praying praise to God. They're praying about God's plan for them. They're praying about God's protection and God's purposes. It's just convenient that they all start with P. That, that, that is that they, they would raise their voices and pray together. Now again, that, first of all, that's kind of where I leave it when I'm, when I'm talking with somebody. But for you, let me add this little tidbit. We would be hard-pressed to pray out loud with one voice. Now we, our practice is have one man come up, stand behind a microphone and pray, and the rest of us do our best to mentally agree with everything that was said. Right? And so we'll, we'll just, we'll stay quiet and we'll listen. Maybe I've, I've been given the advice before when I've struggled with this in the past of really focusing in on what someone's praying. Maybe we'll like mentally repeat what they say. You know, so we kind of use our own voice in our head to repeat what they're saying to help us focus on what's being said. Maybe, maybe that, that's helpful. But what if I said, okay, let's all pray together. Would we be able to do that? No. That's what they did here. And I, again, maybe that was spirit-led, so maybe there, there's some sort of, of miraculous thing going on here. Uh, we know it ends with a miraculous event with the ground being shook and people receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, or maybe they were reciting a prepared prayer, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, somebody prepared a prayer, and they all kind of spoke it out loud together. Maybe there was kind of a given response type situation going on there that we're not told about. Uh, it, it could be that they're reciting a, a off-repeated prayer. Like if we all decided to read one of the Psalms together, and they were doing that in prayer. That, that, that was, again, a very common thing. You know the way that we do do this sometimes? is in song. I've, I've cracked up over the years whenever I've heard people kind of disparage religious groups that have prayer books, that they'll all open up and read a prayer together out loud, and they're like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not a real prayer. 
but we do that in song all the time. That's essentially what, what a large portion of our songs are, is prayers out of a prayer book. We just call it a hymnal. And instead of saying it together, we sing it together. But essentially, it's the same thing. Uh, I think there is benefit sometimes to a group of people coming together and raising their voice together in unison and saying the same things together. Whether that be in song or prayer or in scripture reading, the, the, the concept of joining your voice with others, there's something that happens with that. And we don't do that ever. Uh, again, except in song. Maybe we should do that a little more. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2. We've got the, the passage we typically use to exemplify the collection. Uh, now, about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. There has been a lot of disagreement over the years as to how this should be done and when it should be done and what regulations should guide our process on this and, and what we shouldn't be doing with this and, and all of that kind of stuff. Okay? Without getting into a lot of debate, I will say this. We need to be using some of the time we have together to join together in an effort to do good things together. That I think we can all agree on. We don't got to get into a lot of debate on that. That is something that is good for us to do together. Do good things together. And, and that's what they were doing. They were gathering funds together for the sake of being able to take care of special needs. Uh, in this case, it was a collection being taken for uh, the famine that was uh, going to occur in Jerusalem. Uh, th there, is, there is something about being able to come together and discuss a need and everybody get involved in that need. A and that's what you have going on here. They gathered together in order to assemble funds to do a good thing. And we need to be willing to do the same. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking till midnight. Again, we've got examples of men going around and preaching the word of God to a group of God's people. And I think that is very much in keeping with what we read in Scripture, that it is good for us to do that. Um, not necessarily until midnight or until daybreak the next day, but sometimes it feels that way, I'll be honest. So, you know, we, 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 need, to, we need to have realized the value of opening God's Word together. One of the things I've presented to you before, back earlier this year when we talked about the idea of the Apostle Doctrine, I proposed to you that it wasn't always this lecture format that we're, t that we're used to. Oftentimes it wasn't a speaking to them as much as it was a speaking with them, uh, kind of a give and take 
typical way that synagogues would do this is that they would, somebody would get up and read a passage of Scripture. That person would sit down, and then there would be a discussion of God's Word. Oftentimes, their Bible presentation looked a lot more like our Bible classes than it did our sermons. Okay? I'm not saying sermons are wrong, or else I wouldn't get up and deliver them. But I will say that there is value in the give and take, and there is value in more than one voice sharing truth. Um, one of the things that uh, I was talking with, uh, we had Keith and Alyssa over this afternoon with our friends from Memphis, and we were talking about marriage classes and, uh, and the, the benefit of getting together and discussing having godly marriages. And I told them, I said, I would love to see us have a marriage class, but me not teach it. And the reason for that is not because I think I would do a deficient job. I just don't have the same amount of experience as some of our older, wiser men here have. And so if we're going to learn about marriage, I want to learn about marriage. And I would love to see different men have the opportunity to share truth about what a good godly marriage looks like. And so we've, we've got opportunities for that uh, if we will open up the door for those opportunities. The goal is not sermons, but the opening of God's word, the teaching. And so that's what we do, part of what we do in worship. We tend to, as a people, as our tradition put a predominant amount of our focus on that, on the teaching. And, and I, I'm, I'm, again, I understand why. It, it takes time to learn all the things that are within these 66 books, and it takes time to draw all of the application and, and those types of things. I understand the reason why we put so much emphasis on it. But I will say, I, I think there should be sometimes a greater emphasis on some of these other things like what God has done for us, which brings me to the Lord's Supper. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 33. I want to read the whole section here. It's the section that we've read many times over the years, uh, oftentimes at the Lord's Supper table. I'm not sure why it's over there instead of on the left side of the page, but you know, there you go. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body uh, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. So we have this 
this very clear precedence to gather together for the breaking of the bread and the distribution of the cup so that we might remember the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, that is a, a very important part of what we do, and especially a part of what we do when we gather together because this is one of the things that we do on Sunday particularly because of the examples we have in Scripture and many of the other things we do anytime. But Sunday is our time to gather together and remember the Lord's death and, and celebrate in this memorial together. Uh, secondly, I think the reason we have it on such a frequent basis here on a weekly basis as far as what we read here in Acts chapter 20 verse 7, is that we are doing it as a regular opportunity to examine ourselves in our responsibility to the covenant. We've been redeemed by God, washed clean by the blood of Jesus that was made possible through his sacrifice. We come together and we remember that sacrifice and the things that he did and the covenant that he established, and we examine, have I lived up to this? If I have, great. If I haven't, let's spend some time exploring why and let's fix it so that this next week I can do even better. Uh, and so you've got that examination side of it that, that, again, we spent quite a bit of time back a few months ago talking about that in our three months that we spent talking about the breaking of bread. Uh, but I think that's an important part of what we do when we gather together. Now, those are the things we do that, that I think are easily supportable from Scripture uh, as far as when we gather together to worship. We come together to worship God. We do so with song. We do so in prayer. We do so in, in collecting for the, or for the needs of the saints. Uh, we do so in the distribution of the Lord's Supper and the remembering of his death, and we do so by examining the Word of God together. Again, I know that sounds a lot like the five parts of worship, but there's a reason we call them the five parts of worship, right? Now, again, notice no rules or, or, or guidelines have been made on, well, what if, what if you decide to not do this on a Sunday? Does that mean your worship is not valid? What about all the rules regarding whether you should or should not have Sunday evening Lord's Supper offering? That was a big debate in Alabama, still is in some circles. What about the collections? Can we, should we, do we have to pass trays or can we put a box in the back? Or, you know, notice, none of those things are really determined in Scripture. We, we like to oftentimes make rules that just aren't there. God wants us to open his word together to sing praises to him and teach one another and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He wants us to come together so that we might open, you know, raise our voices to him in prayer. He wants us to take care of the needs that exist among our family. He wants us to focus on what his son did for us. All the rest of the rules, that's us. Those are things we've made up. Now, I'm not saying there aren't other rules. Yeah, I, I, again, that, there's plenty of verses we have not talked about this evening. But I am saying that a lot of the things we like to debate about just aren't Bible debates. And we need to make sure that we're not missing what really matters 
for the sake of trying to have a debate about what might or might not matter. Let's do what we do for the right reason. And ultimately, that brings me back to the, the passage that we have about assembling, which is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting uh, to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are to gather together not because it is on the checklist, not because it is our responsibility or obligation, not because it is just what we do. We gather together for a purpose. We gather together because we are doing something for God and that we are doing something for each other. And if we gather together and we're not doing for God or for each other what we're supposed to do, then we are missing what God has offered to us in our assemblies. These assemblies, they don't make God a more powerful God. These assemblies are not something God needs from us. These assemblies are here because they help us be what God has offered to us to be. And so we can encourage one another and stimulate one another and prod each other along and edify one another in the things that we're doing and making sure that what we do, we do for the right reason. If you find yourself coming together with God's people and you're leaving discouraged or you're leaving disheartened or you're leaving angry at things or you're leaving because... Uh, you know, just, just every time you leave, you're frustrated because you can't believe that person did this thing or that thing or something's wrong. And I would encourage you to first examine yourself and then to go speak with the elders. Because if you're not encouraged when you gather together with God's people, then something is, something's wrong. That is, if we're all doing the job we're supposed to do, that should be the end result of every assembly we have. We should walk out of here lifted up and strengthened and ready to go and tackle the world and, and given information that we might use to go and make a difference in somebody's life and give them the gospel or, or we, we have an opportunity to to be emboldened in the way that we go out and approach the world or in the way that we face temptation. Or, you know, there, there, there are so many benefits to coming together and being a family together. I've made this argument over the years, and I, I'm not sure how much it has been listened to. But for instance, and, and I, I probably shouldn't go this direction, but y'all love me, right? Y'all love me? making sure before I say this. You know, Barry made a comment earlier at the beginning. Um, we're kind of few in number tonight. A and I've heard people ask over the years, well, why is that? Why did we get such a larger number on Sunday morning? We don't get such a large number on Sunday night. What can we do? What do we need to say in order to make those people know they need to come on Sunday night? That's the wrong approach. Nobody, if they're not coming already, it's not because they don't know they need to come. It's because they don't want to. And if they don't want to come, then there's something that needs to change. 
something we need to figure out. How can we help them or how can we get more excited about what we're doing or how maybe there's a change that needs to happen in what we're doing that will create some sort of, of give them something they want to come be a part of. If the only reason we're coming is because we have an obligation to come, that's not a good reason. And while I, I appreciate those who are willing to make that kind of hard decision, well, I don't want to go, but I'm going to go because it's the right thing to do. Thank you for that. But let's fix that. And instead of continuing to not want to be here, but being here anyway, or the other people not wanting to be here so they don't come, let's figure out what we can do to create an environment that we all are enthusiastically involved in, excited to be a part of. Uh, and, and I don't know what the, I'm, again, not making suggestions here. I'm trying to help us see what we have the opportunity to do when we assemble as God's people is so wonderful and so exciting and such a great thing that it should be ridiculous that anybody wouldn't want to be here. Let us worship and edify and encourage and stimulate one another in such a strong and overwhelming way that everybody wants to be here. And then we won't have a discussion about why is there a difference in numbers. We will be trying to figure out what to do with the people who have shown up. And isn't that a much greater problem to discuss is what do you do with all the people? That involves us being enthusiastic. The reason I know that's true, and, and this, again, a tangent because, well, it should have been done like five minutes ago, but tangent, um, the reason I know that's true is this. Back before the pandemic, whenever there was a, a big movie that came out, what would happen to the theaters? They'd sell out. I mean, every single seat would be taken. And not just with every single seat taken. You would go and you would sit next to strangers and be like, and then you start talking to them because you show up early because you were so excited because you know, most theaters don't have assigned seats, so you wanted to go there so you get the right seats, so and now you're stuck there for an extra amount of time. And then you're talking to strangers, and I don't normally talk to strangers, but hey, we're here to see the same thing and, and excited about the same thing, so let's, let's talk about it. And, and, and people get so excited because they're excited about what they're coming to take part in. I took Con to a concert a few weeks ago, it was amazing that in a field that was probably about double this size of this auditorium, that, that's as big as it was, there were probably over a thousand people shoved in there. It was uncomfortable. And we all stood there, not seats, we stood there, some of us showing up two hours early so we could get the good, good spots to stand and stood over four and a half hours to enjoy that concert. When people are excited, you don't have to talk them into coming. And you don't have to command them or obligate them into coming. They come. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, before you try to say, well, God just isn't that exciting, or the gospel isn't that exciting, or worship isn't that exciting, wrong, wrong, wrong. God is exciting. Maybe the way we talk about him isn't. So let's start talking about God and worshiping God with such fervor and excitement and enthusiasm that we have standing room only. It can be done because it was done in the first century and we can do it again. So I encourage you to let that be your thoughts this week as you go through and worship God on your own and as you prepare for worshiping God in the future. If you're not a child of God, that's where we begin, and that's what we need to focus on first. Uh, some of us have not made that decision, and I encourage you to make that decision. Become a child of God. Let him be your redeemer. I tell you, when he takes away your guilt, you're excited. We, we studied a parable in the auditorium class this morning about he who is forgiven much loves much. I think sometimes the reason we're not as excited as we should be is because we've forgotten from how much we've been forgiven. God has taken everything you have messed up and made it good. He's that good. And he will continue to do it again and again and again. We just need to love him and obey him. And that begins by being baptized into Christ. So if you've not been baptized into Christ, tonight's a good night to do that. For those of us who have, maybe we're struggling with something, we want to pray for you, we want to help you. So please come forward. Let us know how we can help you as we stand and sing this. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.